Welcome, Pewter Report readers, listeners, and viewers to another edition of the Pewter Report podcast, energized by Celsius. I am John Leggard from PewterReport.com, and we are thrilled and excited to be with you here with Casey Hudson on a Monday. Pumped about it. Victory Monday, Casey. This is your first Victory Monday podcast with Pewter Report. It is. This is a milestone. I'm celebrating with Celsius. (laughs) And you've you've got your Celsius. Okay, so you're ready to go. I've got mine as well. This podcast is going to be brought to you by Celsius. Rocking the tropical vibe over here. No sugar in these things. An unbelievable taste. What flavor do you have? I have peach vibe today. Peach vibe. Yeah. We're both vibing right now with two of the (laughs) best flavors that Celsius has to offer. But yeah, telling you all, if you're not drinking Celsius uh, and you're looking for an energy drink that boosts you without the crash, can't tell you, can't speak highly enough about what Celsius offers and especially different flavors and tastes that they offer today. And the fact that it's healthy is really a game changer. So go to Celsius.com, find the store locator uh, and find out where Celsius is around you or you do the subscribe and save on Amazon. You can get yourself a variety pack shipped to you and you can try a bunch of different kinds. Also would be remiss if I didn't mention the fast protein bars from Celsius and how outstanding they are. This is the white chocolate cookies and cream. You've got the salted caramel peanut crunch up there on the screen as well. Uh, The chocolate looking one there, Uh, but they are outstanding. Again, taste is like the big thing with with Celsius and fast. They crush the taste element and give you something healthy. That doesn't always happen or you get both. The nutritional value and all of that uh, along with unbelievable taste. The Celsius... They're able to get it done. Fast uh, Brands is able to get it done. I'm telling you, try these protein bars. If you're looking for a protein bar where you can get protein without fat, these Fast Protein Bars is the are the way to go. So make sure you check them out as well. Uh, all right, Casey. So the Bucks win 19-17 to 17 yesterday. Uh, we've broken a lot of this down on the post-game podcast yesterday, and it was – it was good to get everybody's insight on that. Didn't get yours though on the show. Uh, so I'm just curious what your thoughts were stepping back away from the game uh, and kind of looking at how everything went down. What were some of your main takeaways from last night's performance? Well, not to like beat a dead horse, but to emphasize the non-crash of Celsius, ask me how and why I had three Celsiuses yesterday. So <laughs> what I was doing when it hit two, three, four o'clock in the morning, I was basically running through walls because nobody <laughs> should drink three Celsiuses in one. But um, yeah, when it came to the post game, for one, it was just being able to breathe because that game, you it really could have gone either way. And those final... I don't know, minute and 37 seconds. It was just kind of like you're starting to accept one result, which was the Bucks were getting ready to lose that game. And yeah. let's see where media was going to take this. So all in all, I would say the best part about the Bucks' performance yesterday would be the fact that there was a defense. They actually showed up and they actually found a way to be a lot more present and a lot more dominant. I mean, uh, Devin White and Levante David, they weren't very high on the totem pole of getting work done, but they were still very involved in some key plays yesterday. The shocker to me was the fact that Richard Sherman suited up for the first time in God knows how long, and I think he had like seven tackles in one game. 
I saw a lot of really good chemistry between him and Antoine Winfield Jr. If you look at a lot of the plays that Winfield Jr. kind of made an impact on, Richard Sherman was shortly behind. And in one of them, uh, Winfield made the tackle, Sherman made the pickup of the ball. So I'm interested to see where that dynamic continues to go and how that grows. And then Joe Tryon. We've been saying yeah. it for weeks now. This guy's got to get a sack. He's got to get a sack. This is the sack. Uh, JC and I yesterday were like, we're broken records, so let's just keep scratching this joint and see how it goes. And it finally landed yesterday. The kid didn't get one, but he got two sacks. So I was very impressed with defense. It was nice to see that there's still a glimmer of hope there and uh, room to grow with this season. Offense, it's almost like the emotions really got to Brady there for a second. Everyone mm -hmm. kind of assumed that he was going to throw a little over 350 yards or at least break, you know, 300 passing yards. And yeah. I think he was barely at like 260, 260 something. And um, when it comes to attempts versus completions, I mean, he was only half half of the way there. I think it was like 22 to 43 or something. So mm -hmm. it was weird to see a shaken up Tom Brady. Um, you don't see that very often. So Maybe we're glad that that got out of the way or, you know, mm -hmm. are there going to be other teams that try to utilize some of those moments that really did get Brady out of his element? That's what, you know, will be interesting to see down the stretch here. Yeah, for sure. There was there's so many elements to this one to talk about offensively, and we're going to do that later in the show. Matt Matera is going to be jumping in here. He and I are going to look at some of the things offensively that we want to break down from this show, including the performance of Byron Leftwich, Tony Zaylor saying, man, I've watched this game three times now, and I just don't think Leftwich knows what he's doing with all these <laughs> weapons. And we're going to talk about it, Tony, for sure later in the show. We'll discuss it. But right now, Casey and I want to make sure we're caught up on all the injuries, and you guys kind of have an idea of what's going on. Um, today, Bruce Arians spoke to the media about an hour ago, and he kind of filled everybody in on some injuries as much as he could. Carlton Davis, is, he said, is in the MRI tube. He doesn't know how long the injury is going to be, so we'll have more guys that are going to need to step in and step up. Um, he said about Antoine Winfield getting back so late with Antoine, it's going to be hard to get out of the protocol this week probably, concussion protocol, yeah. just because of the timing and the trip. Um, so in November, the Bucks play on a short week then against Philadelphia the following week. So for any injury, that's hard. But for concussion protocol, especially because you need a certain amount of days just to get out of it, even if you are totally fine, that becomes a little bit of an issue perhaps. So the Bucks could be looking at, more, most likely are looking at, playing on Sunday against Miami without Sean Murphy Bunting, without Carlton Davis, without Antoine Winfield, and then – I would guess Jamel Dean is probably going to play. Is he going to be a hundred percent? We'll see. Is he better than Pierre Desir? We don't know that yet either. So lots of unknowns with the secondary right now, Casey, but yet, and I know the opponent wasn't as good as the first three that they've played, but that was probably the best game we've seen from the box secondary last night. Shockingly, as if we didn't need, you know, as if the bucks didn't need those guys to play that way versus the Rams. Um, yeah. But, you know, at this point, and I kind of touched on it yesterday, is like they've got to start actually stepping into that next man mentality. You know, when it comes to Ross Cockrell, I know little by little he's kind of had impactful plays, but mm -hmm. now he's kind of got to, I don't know, really strap up and, be, and play a man's role in this defense yeah. versus like the kid who's still getting to know things. Um because he had opportunities last season and he's kind of been in just about all, all of this season. So at this point, he's got to be a lot more impactful. Delaney, I, you know, coaches is high on giving Delaney credit. I think Delaney still has some ways to come up to speed. And I don't know if anybody else caught this to be a weird point last week. It was during Whitehead's press conference. He kind of made a 
an odd um, alluded to the fact that they're not watching tape enough as a group. Now for you guys to be the weakest hmm. link in the Bucks defense, uh, that needs to be figured out week one, not week four going into week hmm. five. So that secondary needs to get in the same room and break down film together until, you know, their eyes are killing them. Jordan Whitehead should be a veteran presence right now mm -hmm. on that secondary. He should be a lot more present on the field. He should be in on a lot more tackles. I think he only had two tackles yesterday versus the Patriots. Um, he, and even getting on the field hundred percent again for him has been, you know, he isn't still hasn't played hundred percent of the snaps coming back last year. Yeah. Basically, he was like a hundred percent guy most of the time. I mean, Mike Edwards would come in at times, but Edwards didn't play that much in the regular season. Whitehead was out there all the time, and mm -hmm. Whitehead's been so impactful that you mentioned tape study. He's probably a guy that studies more than anybody else, and he made you know the he clearly ID'd a run concept, blew up three blockers, and made a tackle for loss earlier in the game. He's a guy that that has done those things in the weeks that he's returned. Getting everybody else to kind of do those things too, I think, is going to be one of the keys for him. Right. And I mean, I think it starts with getting him on the field more. I mean, yeah. at this point, what else are you going to do? Because the team can't reside solely on Cockerell and Delaney and, you know, Pierre Dessart, these, mm -hmm. these other people that still have ways, you know, in front of them to kind of get acclimated and get to that full NFL speed that the Bucks need in that secondary. Uh, I guess the bright light here, aside from maybe getting Whitehead on the field more is that Richard Sherman, I mean, how do you think he did with his first performance to suit up after a while, get it on about seven tackles, but he even tweeted today, you know, it wasn't pretty basically is what he was saying, but it was nice to suit up again. Yeah. I mean, eight targets, eight catches he allowed 98 yards. So, you know, the numbers weren't great, but, but there's silver lining. He kept everything in front of him. I felt like he didn't blow mm -hmm. coverages. He was mentally, it seemed like he was in position to make plays that he needed to make. And, I thought like he was a step slow a little bit on some of those inbreakers, but yeah. those are hard. They were using stack releases and he's kind of react, has to react late to some of those things and probably doesn't know all the checks for those situations. So there's just a lot of layers to it. I was not discouraged by the performance at all, despite the fact the numbers I know in the PFF grade won't look good. It won't look good, but he tackled really well. That's the other thing. If you, I mean, he led the team in tackles and he didn't miss any tackles and he also blitzed three times. So you're getting blitz calls already. Like this is a, a lot. They put so much on his plate. They mixed their coverages. He played man, he played zone. It was a tough game plan and he yeah. was solid. You know, obviously the Patriots have not done anything down the field and you know, Mac was not trying to do anything down the field in this game either. So that does help. But I felt like the bucks forced him to dink and dunk. And, and if not for some penalties against Tampa Bay, it would have been probably even more successful strategy than it was. Patriots' first touchdown came off the, the oh, heels yeah. of several questionable calls, which was a theme of the night that we'll get to. Want to uh, mention Odson real quick, saying intrigued by this Mike Evans rant John hyped up yesterday. Yes, not to not to um, you know to belabor it too much, but we will get to that again later when we, as we get into offense. When Matt joins me, I'll talk about the Evans. It's not really a rant against Evans or anything, but it just it <laughs> ties a lot of things in with the Bucks wide receiver room. So I do want to make sure you know that that will be coming up on the show uh, as we move forward a little bit. But yeah, I am, I'm kind of at this point with the defense Casey where it's like, all right, I'm not sure what the baseline is, like what this team's like capable of on a weekly basis almost because they never cease to amaze me. But you look at the offenses that are coming up next and you say, okay, if you're going to be without some people and we'll see if Jason Pierre Paul might not be able to play this week either. So in that situation, you'd be missing, you know, four starters on your defense um, if he can't go either. And we'll see if anything else comes up from the game that we don't even know about. Um, 
that would be tough. And if Jamel Dean's out, it'd be five starters when you're in nickel at least. So that would be tough to to kind of replace uh, five of your top 12 uh, in any matchup. But the Dolphins might be – they're among the worst teams in the league right now. And Will Fuller, who's probably their best player, is not going to play. Uh, was announced today. He broke his finger. Um, so he's injured all the time, and he's injured once again for Miami. So they do have a couple weapons. Uh, you know, We'll talk and preview this matchup more later in the week. But they're on their backup quarterback, Jacoby Brissett. Tua Tagovailoa cannot come back yet. Um, from injured reserve. He started throwing, but he won't be able to come back in time for this game. So there is kind of some light at the end of this tunnel a little bit in terms of the matchups. You're not facing Matt Ryan, Matt Stafford, and Dak Prescott. In the next couple of weeks, you're facing Jacoby Brissett, Jalen Hurts, Justin Fields, or Andy Dalton. It sounds like it might be Andy Dalton. Um, and then obviously Jameis Winston, who's had his struggles as well, the two and two Saints. And then Taylor Heineke, if he's still the guy, or maybe Ryan Fitzpatrick's back there in Washington, Daniel Jones. Carson Wentz has not been great for sure. Colts are one and three. Those are your next seven quarterbacks that you face, basically. So right. it does get easier. The receiving cores get easier as well. And I was encouraged by some things that I saw from Sherman and Pierre Desir last night. Now Mike Edwards needs to step in and play well at safety again. Do the Bucs stay with some of the same coverage stuff? And when does Jason Pierre-Paul come back? And what do you do with Joe Tryon-Shanko? Because he's played so well in Pierre-Paul's absence. I know. I mean, great questions on that ending there, and I'll circle back to that. But the good thing is that, yeah, the Bucks kind of do get a little bit of a reprieve here to figure out some things with this defense. And I think you alluded to the fact that they have the ability to be versatile. Yeah. Um, so with that said, Coach kind of made uh, – he said something in press conferences today about how Patriots kept running like two sets or something like that, which um, – causes the defense to play downhill and Bill Belichick spoke earlier in the week about how Shaq Barrett's one of the best players to play downhill. He's keeps his aggression. He's able to maintain such an impactful speed coming downhill and he breaks back downhill so quickly. So I think that rather than having such a <laughs> trying to do any kind of man coverage, their mm. best bet is to really kind of focus on that, that rush, that four man rush, that five man rush and start really utilizing the talent that they have on that line and on that edge. And even if JPP comes back, they're not going to want to throw him into the fire because most of these guys are fighting to come back to, to be a part of the team, not because they're a hundred percent. And the, the end goal here is to make it through the end of the season to get through 17 weeks, mm -hmm. not to be okay for two games and then, you know, screw things up even worse. So I think we're going to see a lot more um, rush, a lot more pressure. I think that it's going to come down to the interior and the edges to play and step up a lot more. We're not going to be facing too many, you know, insane wide receivers, as you kind of mentioned as well. And then as for the quarterbacks, I mean, Brissett didn't even break 200 passing yards right. versus the <laughs> Dolphins. And it's it's the Dolphins. They're still they're dealing with their own situation. So mm. if the Bucks can kind of maximize on those opportunities to build on their chemistry that much more because there's so many guys coming in and out. I think some of the disconnect is that they're not really gelling and then removing those mental errors. At this point, you've got to know the Bucks defense and you've got to be able to, you know, effectively play the Bucks defense when you hit the field um, and do whatever it takes. So I think we're going to see the defense change up a bit here for the next couple of games because they have the ability to do so. I think mm -hmm. Joe Tryon he something that impressed me about his draft profile that translates well over to the NFL is like they said at first that they were concerned about his ability to be a strong rusher because he was a little too obvious coming off the edge. Mm -hmm. But playing with the interior that he has, you saw that he was so quick to give so much credit to one of his sacks of Vita mm -hmm. Via. And 
it's because <laughs> Vita completely bulldozed the guy out of the way and Tryon yeah. has so much speed that if these interior guys give him a second to get through, he's going to fire off and he's going to get to those quarterbacks. So I think that he's in the, I think he's just in the beginning of really kind of getting more confident, getting more momentum and finding a way to utilize the guys to the left and the right of him so that he can get inside and be, you know, a lead rusher on this team. I don't think it's impossible. No, I don't think it's impossible at all. In fact, what he's got, he's tied for the lead in sacks right now on the team, two each for he and Will Golston and Jack Barrett, I believe, right now. And so he's in that race for to lead this team in sacks. And I know people were freaking out about sacks over the first three weeks, and I get it after the Rams game. That was a disappointing one, but the sacks are going to come for this group, and they're going to come because you get quarterbacks who don't read out protections as well, who aren't mm -hmm. quite as sure about where to go to the foot with the football. And you know they were productive. The process was good. They have guys who can win one-on-one. -on -one. It didn't happen against the Rams, but it's going to happen still. Miami's got one of the worst offensive lines in the league. Chicago coming up in a couple games is an even worse one. Lane Johnson's hurt right now for the Eagles. They've already lost uh, Brandon Books to injury. Their left guard, Isaac Siomalu, to injury as well. So there is kind of hurting lines all over the place for the Bucks. If you are going to help out a young defensive back group, this is the way to do it. You've got to have it with your front four. You've got to be able to be more successful. You cannot blitz as much as you have and leave those guys on islands all day. As much as Todd Bowles loves the blitz, he's going to have to change some things that he does and it's going to start there. So I think those guys need to be uh, dominant really. And that, yeah. that includes playing Joe Tryon Chuinka more. The other element to this Casey, that's so hard. The bucks are now actually, I'm going to look it up while we're talking because I know it's so egregious. And while you're looking that up, I think yeah. that the strongest O-line that we end up matching up down, you know, a couple weeks later is the Colts. And right now they're down without Quentin Nelson. So, right. you know, if he continues to stay out, that, again, that just continues that trend of use, using those interior guys and kind of maximizing and building off of them. And Golson doesn't get enough credit. I can take full responsibility for that. I barely mm. name the guy off. But when he's hot, he's hot. He's yeah. been a force to be reckoned with in multiple games. And – Thinking about it now as well, think of the release time of some of the quarterbacks that, they, that the Bucks have faced. You know, Dak Prescott has a pretty good release. Matthew Stafford obviously has a quick release as well. So now you're going to go up against these quarterbacks that take longer to think, longer to process in the pocket. They don't move as quickly. They're not very mobile. So they're going to be able to take advantage in multiple ways here. Yeah, that is going to be a key to this is using those guys up front more effectively. And I think they're finding ways to do that for sure. Lots of games yesterday, lots of twists and things like that up front without necessarily relying as much on the blitz, at least. The Bucks have been thrown against 186 times this season. That is 17 more pass attempts than the next closest team. And it, you, the drop-off is pretty substantial as you go to other teams down the list. The pass rate against the Bucs is just getting out of control. What The Patriots ran the ball eight times, I think, and yeah. for a negative one yard, obviously. They have reached a point, Casey, where it's two years in a row as the number one run defense. Currently the number one run defense in the league right now. They started to reach this point last year, and now it is like full-blown. Everybody is just throwing the ball against the Bucs right now. There's not even – a thought to running the football or trying to establish it in any way against yeah. this team it is just as many balls we can put in the air against this group we're going to. And it's hard to argue with it right now. These are the teams that allow the best completion percentage to opposing quarterbacks in the league. The Jaguars at 75%, the giants at 75%, and then the Buccaneers at 73.7%. So you saw Mac Jones who did not, in my opinion, do anything special yesterday, right. but 
competed, completed 18 straight passes. I don't think a single one was contested. They're all wide open underneath, easy throws. There's nothing. No completions came further than further than 10 yards from the line of scrimmage that is bonkers Casey like they're just (laughs) everybody's throwing the ball in this tiny little area against the Bucks and just like relying on being able to convert third and two or you'll be or run after the catch things like that and the Bucks have certainly missed their share of tackles too but right now life is just easy for opposing quarterbacks in terms of being able to create positive plays and doesn't mean yeah. it's huge chunk plays in three of their four games they have not given up many big plays at all other than the rams game um but it's right now the issue is the bucks other quarterbacks are just so comfortable completing passes that the bucks have not been able to disrupt that it's just like easy slot work they just you know piece by piece slot 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 and then just you know work their way down the field and mm-hmm. it's tough because it's not like there's any kind of middle ground there that the Bucks defense is functioning at. They're extremely strong with stopping the run game, which you see, and then they're extremely lucid when it comes to, you know, breaking up and stopping the the pass and getting in throwing lanes. Um, So that's the hard part when it comes to the teams uh, down the stretch here is because just like you said, Mac Jones, good for him for, you know, having better statistics yesterday versus the Bucks than he did in his first three games, but there was nothing outstanding there. He, it was more yeah. the fact that he had reliable receivers on the other end of those balls, but you know, Brissett, we don't know how much chemistry he's going to have with the wide receivers coming in there with the dolphins. When it comes mm-hmm. to the Eagles, they might give the bigger challenge because it's not like Jalen hurts is all that magnificent, but there are more seasoned receivers there that know how to kind of read him and show up for him. So that could easily almost become another Mac Jones with, decent receiver situation. Um, but they've got to find a way to cover that middle ground there and to, you know, how they're right. going to support that secondary while they're trying to heal and build and build out. It's going to come down to Delaney and Cockerell stepping into a bigger role and with a lot more confidence. I mm-hmm. mean, that role to play safety cornerback DB on in the NFL, that takes confidence. That's why yeah. Jalen Ramsey's so freaking good. And like mm-hmm. those other guys that just really know, you know, why Richard Sherman was one of the best in the league yeah. at, at his peak. It's because of the confidence that you carry out there, knowing that you're going to make those tackles, knowing that you can, you know, match up on these guys, something else that needs to be figured out. I'm a, I am a fan of Carlton Davis. I do think that he's an adequate player, but he gets burnt down those sidelines. Mm-hmm. And if you can't find a guy who can match pace with some of these wide receivers in the league and put them in your secondary, you're going to be screwed. That's the hard and thing. The Bucks, yeah, they, they don't have a ton of speed in their secondary. And so they're no. trying to figure that out. I think too, in terms of defending the deep ball and everything, but yeah, that's been one thing they've been able to keep things in front of them. What I start to wonder Casey is that does it get so ridiculous? Cause right now the Bucks, like I said, by far the most passed against team in the league last last year, Everybody neutral situations, they were the most passed against team in the NFL by far. So that takes out like two minute situations and times where the opponent is down in a game and their chances of winning is at less than 75%. You know, so those situations that are obviously going to be pass heavy, taking those out of it, they're still that passed against way more than any other team in the league, not even close. And this year you're getting the exact same thing with the Bucks. Nobody's even trying to run. Yeah. They're not even playing. I looked it up today. I was like, they gotta be playing with like never play a nickel or something like that. I just looked it up and no, they're, they're fine. I mean, they play at just a very league average sort of rate uh, in terms of their nickel defense. So they've got five DBs on the field and still nobody's trying to run against them. Even when they unload the box, nobody's trying to run against them. It just, nobody wants to because they know they can complete things underneath with the Bucks playing 
softer coverage a lot of the time. Yeah. That leads me to the point of, is at some point it going to be a priority for Todd Bowles to kind of change this a little bit and, and play Absolutely. things a little bit different defensively? Because right now, every you're inviting teams, basically. You're saying, like, please pass the ball against us. And it's not yeah. worked that great. I mean, it did in this game, I guess, but – you're asking to be exploited. Yeah, mm -hmm. he's got to make a change, and that change has, has to happen like yesterday <laughs> because teams are already starting to see what the Patriots – I mean, realistically, if we look at, you know, people's predictions and what we thought was going to materialize versus the Rams versus the Patriots, you know, when it came to the Patriots, they – win or lose for the Bucks. everyone saw the Bucks putting up over 30 points. No one thought that they were going to go in there and, and barely be able to get into the end zone. Except Maybe you, you don't count though. You just, you stay in like stats <laughs> lane all day long. I'm just nerding out, out constantly in the group chat. <laughs> Seriously, the stats, they load off in there. I try to screenshot as much as possible, but then I'm just like, I'm winded. My ADD, it doesn't work. <laughs> Paul, and I, Paul and I are the main transgressors there, but yes. You guys rock though. You help research wise. I'll give you that. But for the normals out there, you thought that the Bucks were going to get into the end zone a lot more and you didn't see the Patriots exactly presenting that much of a challenge to the degree that they did. You know, Bill Belichick's going to pull out trick plays. It's Bill Belichick. Right. He's a genius when it comes to the playbook. So, you know, with teams seeing that they're going to try to take a percentage of that and make it their own. And like you said, because of the ability to pass on the Bucks defense, they're going to find different ways to exploit that. They're going to try to get creative with it. And because it's such a huge drop off significantly of their ability to shut down, um, you know, people's pass game, they have mm. the, the room to be creative. That's the yeah. scary part. They can go out right. there and give things a couple attempts. And then, you know, if they get a couple long balls in there, if we get a guy with a little bit of a stronger arm than Mac Jones, the Bucks are going to be in trouble. Yeah, that's going to be the key because Brissett does have a strong arm, and I think he will throw it down the field. He'll throw it test tight windows. He'll do some crazy stuff you never expect right. with Jacoby Brissett. So there's going to be that element to it for sure. Uh, we'll see how that all plays out. Elliot asked a good question. Do you think that has more to do with how good the run defense is or how bad the pass defense is? Good question, Elliot. I'm not totally sure. It, the reality is it's probably both. I mean, I don't think the pass defense, again, I don't really don't think it's that bad. I think it's other than the Rams game, it's really how they play things. This is mm -hmm. you're always giving up something as a defense. Todd Bowles doesn't want to give up big plays and he doesn't want to give up the run game. That's yeah. that's how he's going to play. And so there's going to be opportunities for teams last year. I said it, you know, the Bucs had, I think they allowed the fourth best completion percentage to opposing quarterbacks of any team in the league. The other teams around them in the bottom 10 were all non-playoff teams. And then there was the Bucs and they won the Super Bowl that way and obviously changed a lot of what they did. But this is kind of how is how you attack a Todd Bulls defense. Is every team is kind of doing it. The difference is now this year, I feel like they're just completely committing to throwing the football and not yeah. wasting as many plays on running. And in the past, even last year at times early in the season, especially when the Bucks defense was playing better, teams were still trying to run it. They were still committing. I remember the Packers game, right? How often did the Packers try to run last mm -hmm. year in that game? Even when they were down, they were trying to run the football and it wasn't working at all. And it was just like, man, you're wasting a lot of plays and you only get those plays are precious, man. Yep. And this year oh, you're wow. seeing less of that, right? Like teams are just not even wasting as many plays yeah. on the Bucs because they know what's going to happen. And they know that the Bucs are going to, are going to shut down the run right now. The Bucs are the second least rushed against team in the league. One attempt behind, the Cowboys right now. So you've got to find a way to kind of lighten your box, camouflage, cover underneath a little bit heavier than you are, uh, and force teams to 
say, okay, we're going to start running against you again right. um, and try and take some pressure off the secondary. I get If you have your starting corners, okay, if that's how you want to play, fine. I've said I disagree with it before, but now – you don't have your starting corners. You're gonna. You could have three backup corners out there in this next game. Three guys who have barely played or are still getting into football shape. Mm-hmm. You you got to be smart about how you're doing this, and you've got to be able to play more coverage and not commit as many numbers to the run and force teams to do things that will take pressure off your corners just yeah. by their play calling. I think that's going to be key uh, for this team moving forward. Yeah. It's gonna co- it's gonna come down to the to those pass rushers stepping up a lot more and playing a larger role because something else to put into perspective, you know, when you look at the predictions and the way that we all analyze the Cowboys game, that home opener, to think that they were actually able to put the Cowboys on almost one wide receiver's back and not being lamb and completely isolate or nearly silence because somebody came for me last time nearly silence Amari Cooper but if they can put that workload on one wide receiver to get 403 yards against the Bucks that's a problem that should have set off red flags week one to start changing things up because you know at that point is when SMB went down and then a guy has gone down every single week since then so they're going he's gonna have to switch things up because if teams know that they can almost rely heavily on one really good wide receiver that's that's a scary thought. Right, it is. <laughs> We're such yeah. a good team. We're, there's right. so much talent there, but it's just it needs to be conducted properly. Right. And right. Todd Bowles, he's you know again another brilliant uh, coach, but now it's time to switch things up and become a lot less predictable. You have the talent there to challenge these guys to kind of think outside of the box and use this team to their advantage. If you guys don't have speed, you've got to figure something else out. Mm-hmm. Yep. I completely agree with you, Casey. Great insights on there. Great insights on the defense in general. Lots to talk about coming up even as we figure out what's going on with these injuries. Does Jason Pierre-Paul play this week? Bruce Arian said he's, he probably practices some. Not sure yet if he's going to be able to play or not. Uh, we'll see. But, uh, you know, you've, again, remember, you've got the short week and then Philadelphia. So, Part yeah. of this has to be looking at your matchups and saying, okay, do we need him? Joe Tron Drink is playing awesome. You know, you've got juicy matchups you can win against Miami at both their tackle spots. So they're yes. going to be evaluating that and the secondary situation. So there'll be plenty to break down for sure. But appreciate you jumping in here and giving us your insights, Casey. Um, this was fun. We'll do it again sometime soon. Psyched to catch up with you guys soon. Have a great Monday, y'all. Awesome. See you, Casey. And we've got to mention our friends over at Living Golf Life because they are they are doing the thing, aren't they, Matt Matera? LivingGolfLife.com. They've got great polos. They've got new stuff coming out too, right? Some trucker hats. I love this hat here. It's yep. you and I, one of our favorites. And they're changing the game over there at Living Golf Life, man. They absolutely are. I love all their apparel from their hats, and they are coming out with new trucker hats. The polos are just super comfy. You can wear them on the golf course. You can wear them for a nice evening out on a date or just out with your friends or doing whatever, but uh, yeah. living golf life, it's while it's golf apparel, it's more than that. It's just, it's a, it's a brand. It's a lifestyle brand. It, it's all about just forging those uh, friendships and relationships that you have. If you're going and playing golf, you're not always going to have the best around, but you could at least appreciate being in the outdoors, being out with your friends and family and just having a good time. And that's what they try to encapsulate with all of this uh, swag logo and apparel that they have. Like I said, they got the hats and the polos. They also got glass mugs. They got koozies, um, koozies. stickers for your car as well, too. I, I'm a huge koozie guy. I can't I can't have a drink. I don't know why. The word koozie mug. is just so, like, such a bro word to me. I don't know why. I guess. Don't you feel that? Like, 
Well, what would you call it? No, I don't know. No, you're completely right about it. And and their koozies are awesome, by the way. Yes, they are. You can see them. Bright green, good logo. Yep, there you go. I'm wearing the hat right now. Oh, wow. Probably with these hats, I like to go with the backwards hat, but it's good good wearing it forward, too. It's not a great apparel. You know, I told Casey I was going to wear a hat on the show today in solidarity with her because she asked if she could wear a hat if that was cool. And I said, (laughs) yeah, of course. And I didn't wear it. Now I'm going to put one on. There you go. See, she didn't know that I only match with Matt Matera. That's right. Yeah, that's the only time. That's the only time. It's our it's our special bond, man. That's right. (laughs) That's what we we have. Got to play with that. Say, speaking of special bonds, uh, or bonds that aren't that special, what is going on with Antonio Brown not playing more snaps? Like, why are I get the game planning and play action? You want to use twelve personnel because you want to be able to run the ball and go play action, and that was your scheme coming in. And I love going play action. I do, but. You don't need to be able to run the ball, and you definitely don't need 12 personnel to run the ball. And so you're playing – you end up looking silly at the end of the game because you played Cam Braid 11 more snaps than Antonio Brown and O.J. Howard 10 more snaps than Antonio Brown. O.J. Howard played 10 more snaps than Antonio Brown. Help me understand, Matt Matera, what is happening with Byron Lofwich and Bruce Arians to think that this was smart. It's funny. I was just on Beckles and Ratcher on WDAE, and I was – talking with them and I said I was surprised and I guess somewhat disappointed for the fact that they both of those tight ends outsnapped uh Antonio Brown by at least 10 snaps and, and 11 for Cam Brate. I mean it was clear outside of Mike Evans that Antonio Brown was the most efficient receiver that they had. Obviously Leonard Fournette had a great game as well in the passing game, but a lot of that was more screens and and short quick passes. As far as going down the field, it was all Mike Evans and Antonio Brown. I think especially in this game where even though, sure, they were moving the ball, it just, I don't know, it it seems like you you almost did it in reverse where Gronk is your best blocking tight end, but now you decide with Gronk out, now we're going to run the ball with two tight end setups who are more known for being receiving tight ends than they are um than they are blocking tight ends. Right. And sure, they had Josh Wells in there. I, I know you're not a, not a big fan of having Wells, if, if you read John's uh, snap count analysis from earlier today, too. I just think you got to get it. I you're understand. not better at running the ball when you put right. an, offensive, an extra offensive lineman out. I understand, that, I understand the game plan, but they that game plan was not working in the red zone. I, mm-hmm. I just felt that. Why not put your best players on the field as much as possible? And there's no question that Antonio Brown is, I mean, the argument still goes on. Is it Antonio Brown, Mike Evans, or Chris Godwin? Who's your best receiver? Um, If he's one of your best players overall, he should be on the field as much as possible. Right, for sure. A uh, couple couple comments here. We appreciate the ten dollars super chat from Learn from Tom. Thank you, Tom, Tom. If you have a if you learn from Tom, if you have a question, just uh, let us know. And yeah, we'll let us know what we can answer learn for you. if we can. Uh, for sure. If anybody has questions, the super chat function is open, and we can uh, take some of those as we get them. Uh, we'll try to prioritize them that way um, for sure. I know some people. Here's my here's my big thing. Yeah, uh, Roy, I am messing up my hair. Ray, I am messing up my hair. I messed up your name too. I'm sorry. But I am messing up my hair for sure. <laughs> for sure. Uh, do what you got to do. I need a haircut anyway. But ben wants to know, John, do you think that it's that bold to say that we can see Joe Tryon Shoenka playing more snaps than JPP when he's back healthy? To me, Tryon has been the far superior pass rusher of the two. He has been the superior pass rusher. He is the superior pass rusher. I'm not ready to say that he's – I am ready to say he's the best pass rusher on the team. Am I ready to say that? I think I am ready to say it. You've been saying we'll it a it. lot. If you haven't I said it, it, it's all. Uh, <laughs> Are Barrett, you officially on the record now? I'm, I'm, 
I need to see a larger sample size, right? There, I'll take I agree. Another, I mean, another one of my games. It's four games. I think uh, he's the know, most talented JPP, pass rusher. Yes, because JPP and Shaq Barrett have built up a great resume. Just to throw that to the wayside, because uh, a rookie in his fourth game yeah. has two sacks on the season. But I'm mean, still playing great. Yeah. And um, I think he's you, a better pass rusher than JPP. You made an awesome ahead. point too about that. Sure, the focus is on Miami this week, but you have that Thursday night game coming up. And as great as JTS has played, why not save JPP if if he can get healthy in time? Why not save him for that Thursday night game when you know everyone else is going to be banged up in the first Absolutely. place? Just playing on a short week. It just right. I don't know. It makes perfect sense to let JPP return for that Thursday night game. Get a fresh pass rusher when. Not many other people on both teams are going to be, you know, at a hundred percent. It's a shoulder, right? It, and they, the prescription was rest. So, yeah. So rest him. Like, yeah. <laughs> even if it's past the injured reserve designation, you know, th- deal, you know, which would be obviously if he doesn't return this week, you could have put him on IR. Okay. Whoops. Sorry. You know, you didn't. And, and, you know, he's it took three games and okay, fine, whatever. But you know, even if you need to rest him for the Philly game, I I'm just not worried about the Bucks edge rusher spot. I'm not Joe trying to no. has been great. Um, and I wasn't worried about it going to the Rams game, to be honest with you. I think Jason Pierre Paul is a good player. I'm certainly glad that the bucks have him. I think he'll be very, very helpful. I'm just not where if the prescription is rest and he's not a hundred percent, get him to a hundred percent. And if he can get the whole break after the Eagles game and, and he misses four games and that's the way it goes down. But then when he plays again, he's a hundred percent. Awesome. Like that's what you need to me way more than anything else. I think that has to be, the formula moving forward. It has to be the thought process with the coaches as they deal with these injuries. That's how I see it anyway. I, you have the benefit of having Troy trying to Chuenka there. It was a right. great pick. There's, there's been no drop-off, and that's right. the key. There's been no drop-off since Joe trying Chuenka was inserted as a starter once um once Jason Pierre-Paul was out. If there was a significant drop-off, then sure, put him back mm-hmm. in. But the, the reason that the Bucks hadn't been able to get sacks up until this game was not – anything that jts did yeah for sure let's get back to the offense because we are trying sure. to focus there although that was a good yeah. question still uh blaine says ab is brady's easily brady's favorite receiver we are five times better with ab on the field i always laugh a little bit at brady's favorite receiver as if brady like sits right. there before getting like that is just a, like that's not a thing i'm not saying it isn't for any quarterback i'm just saying it isn't for brady like he literally has thrown to nobody's for half his career and made a <laughs> household name chris hogan's out here leading the league and yards per catch getting you know 50 balls every you know it's just like there's not a thing like that with brady um but i will say this about antonio brown when you go into matchups that you know are going to be man coverage heavy by the opposing defense he needs to be a significant part of the game plan. He is your best wide receiver versus man coverage. Typically a team's best wide receiver versus man coverage plays every single snap of every single game. In fact, Matt, I bet if you go over the, over the history of the league in the last 20 years, the best receiver against man coverage on a team is the number one receiver and is <laughs> a dominant force for most teams. Their most dominant force and probably mm-hmm. the most important non-quarterback in their offense. The Bucs are in this unique situation where Antonio Brown is probably never going to pass up a healthy Mike Evans or a healthy Chris Godwin in snaps. That's just reality. It doesn't matter how many times we say, when is AB going to become the number one and replace? doesn't matter. You are not benching Mike Evans in yeah. favor of someone else, <laughs> and you're not benching Chris Godwin in favor of someone else. And AB doesn't even really play Godwin's position a role anyway, I guess I should say. And and he, you know, he wouldn't be it, you know, he's fine. He could play Evans' spot for sure if Evans went down, but it's beside the point. It is not going to happen. Antonio Brown will be behind those two in snap counts the whole way. 
So how do you make the most of a very, very, very unique situation in which you have one of the best wide receivers of all time on your team who is playing other than the fact that he's had a couple uncharacteristic drops this year, which I don't really credit to his age. I think it's more of a luck thing that'll come back around, but he's looking like the AB of old. I mean, if this game, if that, 40-some yarder doesn't get called back in the Donovan Smith penalty. And then he catches the ball at the end. He's got like a 170-yard performance in the game-winning touchdown. And, you know, we're having a – he's leading the story of every single show that we do. It's two plays, but that's how much games come down to two plays and storylines come back down to two plays. But he was by far the Bucks' best receiver in this game, in my opinion, in terms of getting open. And it was because the Patriots are playing man coverage all game. And he's getting the third best match or the best matchup, I guess, offensively worst of the three corners. He's getting the easiest guy on a consistent basis. And even if he was getting the toughest guy, he'd be dusting him and you'd still need to have him out on the field, right. but he's getting the worst of those three. And that's why he had the huge game against Dallas because Dallas said, we're going to play you in man coverage. And so he said, okay, I will just shred every single dude that you put across from me. And so he did. And then the next two weeks they played zone and it was a little bit quieter. Obviously he missed the Rams game. COVID, but then you come back in this game and it's man coverage, heavy team, like New England, who's doing what you expect them to do in terms of man coverage in a lot of ways. And he's got this matchup against Jonathan Jones and he's torching Jonathan Jones for the most part in this game, getting open at will. And you're able to hit him for a couple big plays down the field. Yes, I know one gets called back penalty and he has the drop at the end of the game. But that guy who's creating those kind of opportunities in offense for you needs to play more than 40 of your 77 snaps. It's not hard. You don't have to overthink it. You don't have to go into a schematic, oh, but we wanted to run the ball and we can only do that out of 12 personnel with two tight ends on the field, even though both of them suck as blockers. It's too much. You're overthinking it, Matt. This isn't that hard. Play your best players. Be more productive on offense. Win more football games. I don't think it's that hard. Right. And it's not just that he's getting those matchups against the third best quarter uh, cornerback. He's making them pay. When you when you go with those matchups, uh, he's he's hitting a lot of big plays down the field, and yeah, he had the drop in the end zone, and uh, the the forty five yard reception got called back for a penalty. I love the other third down reception that he had, though it was it was deep down the field. Uh, mm-hmm. It was at least for like twenty yards. It was down the left hand sideline. He made a little adjustment to the ball. It wasn't the best throwing ball, but he made a little adjustment, set the bucks up in in field goal range. Those are the plays that you're going to get with Antonio Brown and he may have dro- dropped that touchdown pass, but I, I don't think there's any doubt that Brady isn't going to think twice about that. He's going to no. keep chucking it up there every oh, yeah. single time. And eight out of 10 times, he's going to yeah. end up making that reception. That was just the issue, you know, for, uh, for, for last night's game. I'm all about, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. The Bucks clearly went with this for their first three games up until last night's game. And it worked quite efficiently. Sure, they could have had a little better effort uh, in the red zone again uh, in, in the Rams game, but the Bucs are scoring a ton of points. And when you play in a game where the defense, as bad as it's been, and I know we already talked about the defense, but if you would have told me that the pay- that the Bucs were only going to allow 17 points in this game, I think you would have thought, all right, this is this is a wrap. The Bucs are, right. are going to be okay. And yet they find themselves in a slugfest and it coming down to field goals at the end to, to really deciding it. I just think when you have Cam Brate and OJ Howard and Bruce Arians said today that OJ Howard was open for some passes and just didn't get the ball. We'll see uh, we'll after see. looking yeah. at the at the tape again. Um, but you know, Brate 
Brate's drop was, I think, in my opinion, way more egregious than the one that Antonio Brown had. I oh, mean, yeah. if, if Antonio Brown runs the route that Cam Brate had, he catches that and oh, is on yeah. his way, you know, yeah. maybe he makes a move and gets to the end zone. I just think he's so effective and impactful on this offense. That I, I, I really don't understand why he's not playing more. It's just this offense is so good. Why are we changing it? Why are we trying to reinvent the wheel here? As, as mm. you said, overthinking it. There's no reason to overthink it. You're, you were like first in the league in points and you're scoring over, you're averaging over 30 points a game. Why is that something that they need to to fix? And I don't really want to hear that the rain was an excuse because mm. Brady has played in the rain for his entire career. Antonio Brown was in Pittsburgh for a while. Yeah. They don't, they're not known for having the best weather. So I don't want to hear it with that. They're still yeah. able to move the ball quite effectively. I, I don't really think they were, I, I can understand if a team is going in, hey, we expected this. Wow, we, we didn't see them running the ball at all. But you don't do that against Bill Belichick. You know, you might do that against another team, but you don't do that against the Patriots. It, it right. was a little, it, it was a, it was a bit questionable. And we'll see what happens next week, assuming that that Gronk doesn't play again. If they decide to use more um, Camp Rate and, and OJ, or if they just say, all right, this is what worked for us with Antonio Brown, let's get back to that and let's start averaging 30 points a game again. Yeah. And I think this, the presence of Antonio Brown, I think is, for the first time making Bucks fans look at Mike Evans more closely as a receiver, where for a while he was like the only saving grace about their offense, like the only consistent thing they could count on for forever. And I get that, and I don't mean to disparage Mike Evans at all, but you can see kind of the differences now a little bit. And obviously Evans is drawing tough matchups, no question about that. He did see J.C. Jackson most of this game. But Evans draws those matchups, and I don't feel like he always wins those matchups either. You know, I, He's had some good moments against Jalen Ramsey, Marshawn Lattimore, though, has gotten his number. James Bradbury's definitely had his number in the past. You know, he and Richard Sherman have had battles. Actually, I think Evans won uh, one or two of those, maybe, uh, the battles that they've had in the past. And I felt like last night Evans was fine. You know, I, I didn't think J.C. Jackson totally shut him down or anything, but I didn't think it was as it wasn't like a dominant number one wide receiver type of performance on a night where it was like, all right, it's going to be man coverage. It's going to be, you know, you're going to be a guy that Brady probably looks to a lot because of the man coverage situations. Evans has typically been a guy that you go to a lot in those spots because he can beat man coverage against most teams, top corners because um, they're not a shutdown guy. Uh, and because when you've got one-on-ones, you're going vertical a little bit. And the Patriots played a lot of second half out of single high. And so Brady, I think, looked at Evans first a lot of times because of the way that they played and it wasn't always there. And so he didn't necessarily throw to him in those situations. And we saw Brady, that was the, the most time to throw he's taken all season. And some of that Patriots dropped seven or eight, but that was right. the longest he's held the ball was in this game all season. That That's going to happen when they drop seven or eight. But I also think it's because Mike Evans wasn't open. He didn't, wasn't open at like a dominant number one wide receiver type of rate. Um, you always need to put the matchups into perspective too. He certainly made that tough sliding catch. Uh, I was going to bring that up, and that, that was right a, after they they called the pass interference penalty yeah, on him, and right. he made up for it. Made up for right it. after that. I thought right. he was involved a lot. I, I thought my the record breaking catch fine. was a great one too over the yeah. middle of the field. Yeah, very nice. Kind of yeah. I just think uh, some people are expecting. I I guess a good example would be. Uh, for those that watch that that Packers 49ers Sunday night game, and you just saw Devontae Adams just Correct. dominate. And it was like, why aren't the 49ers double teaming this guy? Because the Packers at wide receiver clearly do not have the talent that the Buccaneers have. I think people are looking for that type of outing. 
with Mike Evans. And we've seen that in the past where he'll just catch 10, 10 receptions. He'll make 10 receptions for 200 yards and two yeah. touchdowns. And I still think that game is coming. But I also think, too, we have to limit our expectations somewhat just because of Antonio Brown and, and because of Chris Godwin and just the way the offense is run here. It's a little bit different. And sure, it might hurt Mike statistically mm-hmm. uh, and for for his individual impact on the game. But overall, I don't think you could argue with the outcome for this team since, you know, Brady got here in 2020. Yeah. It's been pretty much really good for them. And it's hard to make too many – I mean, A.B. drops the pass at the end of the game. Evan's catch was easier earlier in the game, but he yeah. dropped one in the red zone. And so both those guys, you know, you look, Brady was like three of 16 in the red zone. So obviously, he, you know, a couple were over th- – or a couple were mm-hmm. throwaways, but still had his fair share of misses in the red zone too. Uh, and guys really, I thought, were not open very often. It was really good coverage by the Patriots down there. But you go back to the Evans drop that sets up a first and, and goal situation and, and then the A.B. drop that's a touchdown. And, it, man, that changes <laughs> – some things a little bit for sure, but uh, William Butler fresh off ethering JC yesterday in the chat. If uh, with the five dollar super chat, William really appreciate that. If Miami throws for four hundred yards, will Jason Light trade for a corner? What do y'all want Jason Light to do? There is not that many corners out right. there. He's already signed Richard Sherman. He's already signed uh, Pierre Desir. He's already signed um, um, Rashard Robinson. Stephon you know. Gilmore is not coming to the Bucks. Yeah, so. Desir and even, Sherman have played. That. Yeah, Gilmore's not coming. Brad James Bradbury's not coming to the Bucks. Like not with that <laughs> cap number. The Giants don't even want to get rid of him. So, you know, there's there's not a whole lot that could be done here. Like they've signed three guys. They're they're good. These are the guys that are going to get trained and they're going to you know be ready to go. And Desir's played a lot of football. Like he's not a bad corner. Like he's been a starter. Yeah, he's been and, a starter. Which he, I I would go with a guy that at least has experience versus a. Uh, Hey, he you know, the, he hasn't played in a season, yeah. but, you know, you, he had a good you remember he had the crazy Jerry Judy game last year where <laughs> he got yep. mossed and then he also had two picks and then he got caught like later that week. Yeah, that was, a, um, yeah. that was a Thursday night game. Yeah, Is it a Thursday or Monday a, night? That game? was a Thursday night jam, dude, Thursday where night. Sam Darnold absolutely shook Alexander Johnson on that. That, <laughs> that was uh, when the whole league got put on notice that Sam yes. Darnold was a rushing quarterback because all he does is run touchdowns for for the Panthers now. <laughs> it's incredible. It is really funny stuff. Um, but yes, I um, I think that uh, right now the the big storyline kind of coming out of this game, apparently, I say this after having now looked at a little bit at Twitter. I, you know, I wasn't on there during the game, which is thankfully, honestly, one of the biggest blessings of my life <laughs> doing these live streams <laughs> and not seeing it. But Seeing the narrative going around, which is apparently perpetuated by Chris Collinsworth, who, you know, people just, just mute their TVs. Not that it's not even Collinsworth. It's just these guys are paid to like blow things up and blow up rookies and get people excited about rookies. That's what they're paid to do. But there was a narrative floating around that Mac Jones outplayed Tom Brady last night. I even saw like a couple Patriots writers be like, one hedged it. He said, Mac Jones nearly outplays Brady. <laughs> I was like, okay. So if he makes the 56 yard field goal, Mac Jones outplayed Brady, but right, if he misses yeah. it off the left upright, Mac Jones didn't outplay Brady. Sure, sure, sure. We know how these things work. What are you, you, say, know, what you, are you saying? Say. You said this on the podcast, not to cut you off, but I believe you said this on the podcast yesterday. Mac Jones threw one pass that was for longer than 20 yards, correct? One pass longer than 20 yards. In and the what happened on that play? Antoine Winfield intercepted it after Ross Cockrell knocked okay. it away. So, okay. I, I mean, he threw two passes beyond 10 yards, I believe, in the game. Ooh. So like we're, I mean, we're talking about all time check down, which like is fine. If that, that's what the bucks give you. I get it. He made good decisions. He was very accurate with easy throws. Hey, he threw a dime to Hunter Henry in the end zone. 
great. great. <laughs> wide, oh, wide open with no one around. Oh, him, John who's with you. Oh, wait, Henry scored too. Both of them. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Up. Yeah, it was it was Johnny, Johnny. Smith, okay, though. Right. It was Johnny Smith that had the yeah. wide open one. Yeah. Great. Threw a dime there. Great throw. <laughs> <laughs> but I just laugh. Like Brady, meanwhile, is four of seven on 20 yard passes. And one of those was dropped, but yeah, four with the AB one. But four or seven on passes 20 yards or more than had another one taken away on the, the, the penalty. Um, he's making high degree difficulty throws in the tighter windows, you know, and the, the run, one on the run to Godwin was a great throw. The sliding yes. one to Evans was a great was throw. Awesome. Like he moved out of the pocket and made that throw on a second and 16 or whatever it was. I mean, that was just, and then they convert the third down and that's what put him in position to get the field goal. And it's just like for Brady, Matt, these plays just get dismissed. Like he can go to his third read on Antonio Brown on third and six or whatever it was, third and eight and hit him and put him in position for the game winning field goal. And nobody talks about it. Right, because well, for him and, the standard is here, and for exactly. Matt Jones the that's, standard is just that's exactly don't suck. I, that's exactly what I was going to say. It's just the the expectations are so much higher for Tom Brady. If you switched, if you put Mac Jones on the Bucks in that game, and Tom Brady, does Mac Jones even hit a quarter of those degree of difficulty yeah. passes that Tom Brady no. had? No, <laughs> we have no reason. No, I won't even say no. I'll just say we have no evidence. To believe that he will, based on his NFL tenure so far, seeing the games that he's played in, but also based on his performance that night, he was very conservative and safe with the football. The Patriots have been that way all season that's long. I'm pretty sure, right? Yeah. That's that's what the and offense is right now, and that's, that's fine, what he's, he's doing. That's fine, but he, that's not going to win you games. I mean, obviously, no. if we're picking between the two, everyone's going to pick Tom Brady, but Tom Brady can go out and, and win you games. Like I was even thinking last night too, when Folk was lining up for that field goal. I was thinking, because there was, what, 56 seconds remaining, something yeah. like that? Yeah. If he hits that, in my head, I'm going, all right, Brady still is going to have 50 seconds to move down the field and set them up for a field goal. They had right. some timeouts left. That right. legit was going through my head and saying, all right, here comes another Tom Brady comeback. Oh, yeah. I mean, just, you know, he can will teams to victory. He can it, win games yeah. for you. Not many I, quarterbacks can. Part of me, not, I don't. no part of me wishes that he'd hit it, but part of me wonders right. if... Nick Folk had hit that field goal. What would the headlines have been? Because Mac Jones benefited from an egregiously bad pass interference penalty, yep. then got a false start that backed him up. Then they missed a false start. And on the play where the Bucs are screaming, how did you miss the false start? Mm -hmm. That the tackle didn't even play the snap because he was so disappointed <laughs> himself for false starting. Isaiah Wynn that you they blow the coverage on the flat. It's a what 15-yard check down in the flat. And that was the that was it. Like that, you're going to give him credit for, are you going to give him credit for this? Like game winning drive because of that? Like, right. When the coach didn't even trust you to go for it on fourth and three. <laughs> fourth said, and three. I would rather kick a 56 yard field goal in, in, the pouring, in the pouring rain. than go for it on fourth and three. And to, but he's put the less next time, to put less time on the clock for a guy that you damn well know can move down the field and have a yes. game drive because you saw it a thousand times for the last 20 years. I mean, don't get me wrong. Not to take the spotlight off Belichick, who I believe deserves plenty of, I know we're not ripping on the Patriots on this show, but like a, for the All fact right. that he went out this past year and Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar, Hunter Henry, John U. Smith, all of these big money deals. None of those guys even have 200 yards receiving this year. I mean, it just looks blech, across the board with those guys. But also because of some of the in-game decisions, how do you not go for the fourth and two near the two-minute warning at the end of the first half? Take a delay game, Bucks go down the field, get a field goal. You're probably getting that. Dude, <laughs> you're moving the, the Bucks. The Bucks defense as well as it played 
was egregious in situations like that. That first touchdown drive for New England, the Bucs allowed like a second and 18. They allowed them to convert. They got it obviously close yeah. and then it was third and short and they converted. I believe they had a second and 20 as well, too, that they also eventually got a first down on and, and moved down the field and scored a touchdown. I was so surprised that they didn't go for it there on fourth and two where, you know, Belichick's a guy that'll certainly take some risk. I mean, you just did a trick play on the play before and now you're not even going to, you know, you almost had the momentum right. of, Hey, we got so many yards on a third and 21 when no one thought we had a shot to even get 10 of those back. Right. That was a very surprising move. I agree with you. There. I, I just thought across the board, really questionable calls by him. Not neither both fourth down situation was egregious to me. Like you're the worst team on paper. A lot of things are going your way. Be realistic about your chances to win the game and take chances when you get, opportunities for high percentage conversions that are going to keep the other team from scoring. He didn't. And it I just felt like it really, really cost them. And so, but that's beside the point we're focused on the bucks. Last thing we'll touch on here as we get out of the show, we've already talked enough about how Tom Brady was better than the numbers indicate. We don't need to belabor it. I've made yeah. myself clear <laughs> and I'll write back myself more clear in Wednesday morning's bucks briefing as well. But um, last thing I want to get to is Byron Leftwich's performance. I know people are really looking forward to hearing some of our quick thoughts on that as we try to wrap this thing up in the next few minutes. But first, it was pretty uh, pretty cool to see uh, the way that we've been able to talk about some of these things and give people some insight into some of these things with the Bucs uh, kind of play out in the game the other day. And one of the cool places that we do that is Spotify Greenroom. If you don't know, you can talk music, sports, culture, all of those things on Spotify Greenroom. Download on the App Store, on the Apple App Store. Uh, get it on Google Play. Make sure that you are in there and you are subscribed to Pewter Report or following Pewter Report on there. You'll get notifications when Pewter Report goes live to talk about the box, the NFL, fantasy football, anything. JC sometimes gets in there and just talks about his life, I think, uh, which is <laughs> really interesting um so <laughs> make sure you uh are following peter report in there and getting caught up on everything uh going on with peter report um and yeah just spotify greenham you get a chance to take the mic and jump in and give your opinions and your thoughts on players and coaches and teams and things like that and so i also just noticed for the first time that on this graphic here this little comment this little you know example comment down at the bottom says the jets are really starting to turn this around <laughs> and i just realized that they're actively trolling you matt <laughs> hey, maybe they are. The maybe big, they win against, like, big win against Tennessee. It's right. It's true. It's a victory Monday for the for the uh, yeah. for the Jets as well. So Jets pretty... fans and Bucks fans can rejoice in seeing the Patriots lose. <laughs> so right. we're all on the same page here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I Byron Love, which to me, I won't belabor it. I mainly I already talked about the personnel things. That was my biggest issue, to be honest. So whether you want to say Love with Jarians, that was my biggest issue. The other thing I'll touch on, Matt is that I felt like they came out and they wanted to go run, play action, and vary the two on first down. I don't hate it. I think it's fine. It didn't work for like a couple plays. We'll see when I look at the All-22 what yeah. is what is why that would be. And then they just totally got away from it, and I don't understand that. In the, second, in the first half of this game, six runs, seven passes, in neutral situation first downs. There were four passes on the two-minute drive, but I didn't count those because obviously right. they're passing yeah. in those spots. The second half, 11 first down runs, three first down passes, including the game winning field goal drive. I was going to take out because it was four minutes left. So I was like, going to yeah. take it out of consideration, but they actually ran twice on that drive. If it was pass heavy, <laughs> I was going to take it out. So it wouldn't slant the numbers, but it actually ran twice on that drive on first down and threw one pass on first down. So even that drive, they were putting Brady in these long third down situations, third down to be in 19 third downs is just no bueno. In those second half runs, four yards, eight yards, one yard, seven, eight, six, I mean, some okay runs, to be yeah. honest. Four, four, one, 
negative two, three, two. Your last six runs, the best you got was four. The Patriots adjusted. They moved a safety down. They started crowding the line of scrimmage. The Bucs didn't adjust with it. I felt like that was an indictment of Lovich a little bit. I hear you there. I don't necessarily hate all of the runs that uh, you know they they were going with, just because overall they they ran the ball well. I get more concerned with just the overall predictability of yeah. everything. As you were just talking about it, they they ran the ball so many times on on first downs in the second half. You can't fall into that pattern of just and especially again a team like the Patriots. You know that they're going to suspect that and and be able to to handle that and really deal with it. I At the end of the day, for me, it just it came down to just red zone efficiency more than what they were running on, on first and second down, and I'm sure you already talked about that, but the execution there just should have been so much better. I, I'm more concerned about that than the overall running the ball, but yeah, mixing some play actions on first down, I, I, I'm always all for that, and when this team is best at passing the ball and moving it down the field, why not go with what you excel at the most? It's just for me, it's just as simple as that. Right. Yeah. And I will need to go back to when the all 22 comes out, which I think it's just coming out right now. Um, I will go back. I'll look at it. I'll write about uh, left, which performance more in depth than bucks briefing and give you all kind of more of an idea. Of some of my thoughts, but my main issue right now is the personnel deployment. I felt like they became too first down run heavy in the second half. We'll see. I mean, there's definitely, I'll have to look at the box count, see if they were doing smart situations or not. It doesn't help the fact that, Here's the thing. Even when the Bucs run the ball well, Matt, it doesn't really look pretty. Like how many, I mean, on most of their best runs, it's like run into the back of your offensive lineman, kind of manage guys yeah. stay on blocks. Squeeze you know what I mean? and like wiggle through. Like, yeah. There's no like gap and like, okay, get up. He got to the second level clean. You just don't really see yeah. it. It and just I, still I, feels like the process isn't that great. Uh, on top of that, another point I wanted to make too, is just, um, you talked about what was it? 19 third downs that they, that they had. So many of those feel like stressful third downs. Sure, they had some third and shorts where uh, they ran it with Leonard Fournette or uh, tr- tried to do a pass play. But the Bucs are, in in my opinion, in too many, I'll call it stressful third downs, third and seven and, and longer than that. They can't keep getting into those situations because we've seen from time to time that them, they're not able to convert on, on something like that. Mm. But it's also not a re- recipe for success moving forward. As talented as this team is, no one can keep overcoming that, including the Bucks' offense. So, again, that plays into being effective on first down, taking advantage of getting a, a five-plus yard play. Uh, I would love to see more of that playing against Miami. Mix it up in the second half. Don't just keep running it and uh, get, get creative. You got right. so much talent around you. Get creative. Yeah, good point. Fair point. I like it. Thanks. All right. Uh, we'll be back on the show Wednesday. We're off tomorrow. We're back on the show Wednesday. We preview the upcoming game between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Miami Dolphins in week five. We'll also give you injury reports by then too, as well because we'll talk to Arians on Wednesday and get his thoughts on some of the injuries right now. Jason Pierre-Paul, iffy to play this week. Jamal Dean, probably going to play. Carlton Davis getting an MRI. We'll see what happens. Uh, Bruce Arians is expecting him to be out for a while. Uh, we'll see if that means season ending or not. I, I kind of think that it might be, but we'll see. It's just a total guess. Um, uh, Sean Murphy Bunting's getting better. Bruce Aaron said not ready to come back yet. Still going to be a while. Um, who else am I forgetting? Oh, Antoine Winfield and the concussion protocol. Concussion. Probably out this week. Probably not going to have enough time to get out of the protocol. 
So yeah, it's not looking good for the Dolphins game, but luckily Dolphins are playing like one of the worst teams in the league right now, and they right. lost three straight, and they're on the backup quarterback, and they have issues all over the place. On top, both sides one of their of the top ball. receivers might one of the top receivers playing, isn't no. playing. Yeah, Will Fuller's out. So yeah, lots of question marks, and the Bucks need to be able to close the door on teams like that, even if they're down a couple of players. So right. should be interesting. I think Jason Light deserves credit for getting this roster in a position where they can remain. You know, it's not D Delaney and and and. Uh, I don't even know Richard Robinson, I guess, or somebody, I don't know, but they went out and got a guy like Sherman and got a guy like Desir too, who has played and, and can, can do it in this scheme. And so we'll see how it all comes together. It's going to be interesting, but Wednesday we'll break down that matchup in depth. And then Thursday we'll be back on the podcast for more thoughts and insight and hopefully guests as well on the show. So it's going to be a lot of fun this week. Subscribe to Pewter Report TV on YouTube. If you're not subscribed, uh, make sure that you're subscribed and you're hitting the bell to notifications for when we go live. We'll be live 4 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday and 4 p.m. Eastern on Thursday. Until then, thanks so much for listening to another edition of the Pewter Report Podcast. Out. Catch you later. Have a great day. Love you all. Out.